Welcome to episode five of the process, Doctor Metal. Trust the process. If I give you all of me, would I get all of you? If I told you I'm anointed, could you see the proof? Give my heart and soul for you when I'm inside the booth. Feel my love, feel my pain when I'm inside the booth. Would you switch a change on me if you knew the truth? Knowing I ain't the same person that was introduced. Thank the Lord, cause I don't look like what I've been through. Here's a letter to you. I'm back again. Jesus on that cross, I had to rise again. Time to get my blessings, time to get my blessings. I had to live my life, I had to learn my lessons. I had to keep that smile, but deep inside I'm stressing. Just trying to keep my spirits from that deep depression. It's time to tighten up. I put my pride down and pick that Bible up. Welcome to episode five of The Process. My name is Quavon Taylor. And I'm Monte Martin. And this is process so welcome to the show dr taylor thank you for having me <laughs> <laughs> so tell the people a little bit about yourself where are you from i am from miami florida born and raised um not the miami that you guys see on tv but i was born and raised on 51st street which is in liberty city I'm proud of my hometown, and um, I believe it made me who I am today. Uh, what were some struggles you faced growing up in Liberty City? Okay, so some of the struggles I faced growing up in Liberty City were definitely being, um, one, being surrounded by a lot of negativity. You know, many people who come from where I come from didn't strive um, to be much. I mean, and I'm not talking down on my people. It's just that that's what we were surrounded by. A lot of crime, a lot of fraud, a lot of, you know, illegal activity. And so being surrounded by that, that's what a lot of my, um, co- that's what a lot of my peers um, mentality was surrounded by. Um, and me personally, I knew I had to get up out of there. I knew I wanted something better. I wanted something more in life because I knew life had more to offer me. And um, also, you know, my mom and my dad, I was lucky enough to grow up in a home with both a mom and a dad, um, but we didn't have much. I mean, we grew up in a two-bedroom home, uh, one bathroom. You know, we our house got broken into probably about four or five times. Um, so, like I said, I lived in the hood. I, I sometimes was awakened by crime and um, and, and sirens and things of that sort. But I feel like, I mean, one of the biggest struggles would definitely be around, I mean, it would be growing up around such negativity, not having many resources and, you know, still having this desire to get out. And I knew that I had to do what I had to do to get out. <laughs> what, where did that desire come from to get out? Like, cause I think most times in those situations, people would fall victim of, you know, becoming a victim a product of their environment, if you will. So how did you navigate and, and not fall victim of your environment? You know, um, I think a lot had to do with my mom and my dad instilling in me like morals and, you know, telling me that whatever I wanted to be, I can be it, regardless of how big the dream may be, regardless of what I see around me. 
um, that I can do whatever I put my mind to. And with hard work, you know, and determination and passion, I can achieve anything. Like my dad used to tell me that every morning. Crystal, he used to call me Shorty. I wasn't short, but I don't know. That was his name for me. (laughs) But he would be like, Shorty, you can do whatever you want to do in this life. Like, don't let nobody tell you otherwise. The only person that can stop you is you. And so that's the mentality I had um, growing up. Like, I knew what I wanted to do, and I knew the steps that I had to do to get it. And if I didn't, I found someone who did know um, how to get it, and I just went for it. And I feel like that's where that determination came from. My mom and my dad instilling in me... um, the idea that I can do and be anything I wanted to be, regardless of my surroundings. So how was your childhood growing up? My childhood consists of a lot of discipline and um, and reality, really. And what I mean by that is that both my mom and dad are recovering drug addicts, meaning they were once addicted to crack cocaine, like that was their way of life. Um, but fortunately, with God's uh, grace and favor, they were able to uh, break that habit. And so they always went to um, this treatment group. It's a 12-step program called Narcotics Anonymous. And my mama would always bring always bring me. And, and so I heard the stories of how people made bad decisions and then they ended up being strung out on crack cocaine or being an alcoholic and they lost um, their driving life. So my mom, you know, exposed me to that at an early age. Um, and a little bit about that, I mean... I personally, I would like to say that I was exposed to crack cocaine while I was in the womb with my mom. Um, the first five months of my mom's pregnancy, she was still, um, you know, addicted and in the um, addicted to crack cocaine. So she was still out on the streets and whatnot. Um, however, she went to jail. And so that turned her life around. And she went to jail in January um, of 1991. And that's her claim date. And so I was born in April of 1991. So Um, The moment I was born, I was exposed to Narcotics Anonymous. My mom would bring me around because she was still recovering. She was still new in her her new way of life. And so I heard all of the stories of all of the other people and they'll be real about and they'll be very explicit about their, you know, their truth and their reality and how they got sprung out on drugs. And, you know, it would be these normal individuals who made just silly silly mistakes, excuse me, and they became sprung out on drugs. And so I've been exposed to that. My mom would always remind me, you know, you can make one bad decision and then your life can end up like that. And so that always stuck in my mind. And my mom was very real about her own experiences. She would share with me different stories about how she could have been further along in life. But because of the choices she made, the bad choices she made, she's where she is today. I love my mom. Um, I think she's made great progress. I mean, I'm 27, so she has 27 years clean and sober from crack cocaine and alcohol. But that's one way um, I feel like I grew up. I grew up around those experiences. And then the other way I would say uh, what my childhood consisted of was definitely discipline. Um, I guess because of my dad um, and his experience, like as a recovering drug addict and knowing what it was like to be out in the streets and making bad choices, he was very strict with me. Um, I had bedtimes all the way up until I was in the 12th grade. I had to go to bed at 9.30. <laughs> um, <Whoa>. Yes, <laughs> I had to be in bed at 9.30. So, I mean, definitely I was still, I had a relationship with Quavon and um, he would be able to come over, but he couldn't come over until after I was done with my homework. And definitely he had to leave by nine because I had to take a bath and get ready for bed and be in bed by 9.30. And my dad did not play about that. So Sunday through Thursday, that was my bedtime. And then on the weekends, he would let me break. And, I mean, he would definitely, yeah, obviously I didn't have a bedtime on a weekend 
Um, but it was important that on Friday I got my homework done. Like it wasn't no waiting until Sunday to get my homework done. And my dad drilled that into me as, at an early age, like in elementary school. Um, and so with that discipline, I felt like, I mean, that was embedded in me from the beginning. And so I feel like that discipline has trickled along with my way of life, my determination. And I feel like once I set those goals, you know, being determined and being disciplined, I was able to achieve them. Awesome. So that's what my chapter consisted of. <laughs> awesome. That's a that's a very unique story. Um, what inspired you to become a, a MD, a doctor? <sighs> that's a good question. I mean, I can give you the answer that I tell everyone on my interviews. So what I told my med school interviewer and what I told my residency interviewer is that uh, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was in the fifth grade, and you know she was able to beat it and. Um, I wanted to provide that um, source of healing to other patients that went through the same thing. And I guess that's what I told everyone else. But in actuality, um, I felt like growing up, all I knew in order to make it out was to be either a lawyer, to be a doctor, to be a teacher, or to be a nurse. And I'm not doubting any of those, but my process of elimination went as such. <laughs> I didn't like reading as much, so I knew I didn't like reading or writing as much. So I knew being a lawyer wasn't in my future. <laughs> you know, I really didn't like the law like that. And then um, being a teacher, I mean, I enjoy kids. I love teaching, but I didn't feel as though they made enough money for me to get out the hood. You know, because some of my teachers still stayed in the same hood that I lived in. And um, being a nurse, I mean, I love, like, so I'm left with being a nurse and being a doctor. And I wanted to be in the medical field, and then I felt like what my daddy had raised me to be was to always be on top, and not saying that doctors are on top of nurses, but I wanted to further my education and get the highest degree possible, and so that was being a doctor in the medical field. And so I guess, <laughs> in a roundabout way, that's how I became a doctor. So my question is, uh, going through Florida State, going through school, uh, how did your perception change of being a doctor from high school? You know, when you when it's kind of this romanticized career, like, oh, I want to be a doctor to get out the hood. But then when you're in FSU med school and you're sitting there late night studying, you know, how did that perception change of being a doctor? I'm like, damn, is this really what I signed up for? Is this really <laughs> what my life is about to be about? Like. I used to sit in those libraries and in those classrooms and be like, I feel like all of my friends are just living their lives. You know, we're 20, we're young, and they're just out living their lives. And I'm stuck in this classroom learning about medicine. Like, I used to doubt myself all the time. And then, um, and I used to compare myself all of the time. And I still have problems with that today. Um, but comparing myself, I would be like, ah, eh, I don't know if I'm shot out if I'm um, if I'm made for this. I don't think this is really what God wanted for me, only because of the fact that I felt as though I was missing out on what everybody else was doing, which was on social media. Basically, you know, this time, this day and age, everybody is posting on social media, and I'm like, damn, I can't even do what they're doing. And so, looking at the social media, comparing myself to others, my perception definitely changed about what I was doing with my life. And it wasn't the content, because um, I still found the content of medicine extremely interesting. It was more so of me comparing myself to others and looking on social media and seeing what everyone else was doing. 
Um, and so still to this day, I battle with that. But what I've realized is that as a young girl from a little school age girl, I've been always dreaming of, be- of becoming a doctor. And I knew at a young age what it took to become a doctor. And I knew that everyone didn't really um, possess those abilities to get there. But God instilled in me and blessed me with those. And I'm here today. And I felt like, or I was in medical school then, and I felt like I was betraying God by comparing myself to other people because of all of the things that he instilled in me. And so, like I said, it's still a constant battle with that because now in residency, we work 14, 15 hour days, sometimes 24, 28 hour shifts. And I'm like, I really didn't sign up for this. And I feel like my entire twenties are just basically training to provide services for other people. And at the end of the day, I feel like this is such a profession where it's not like, oh, I'm going to be it and I do it. It definitely have to be, it's my ability and my stance right now as a medical professional is definitely by the grace of God. Like God allowed me to do this. God called me to do this. And so I feel like that's what sometimes gets me going. And um, once I realize that I'm having these negative outlooks on and my perception back to the question has changed, I have to look back on what got me here and why I am here. Um, but yeah, sometimes I ask myself, what the hell have I got myself into? <laughs> and I just keep trekking along. Awesome. Awesome. My next question is, so where are you in your process of uh, becoming a doctor? And um, I want to ask something about how do you put your blinders on basically and run your race? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. How do you just focus on you? during this process? Well, to answer the first question, I'm currently a resident physician um, at the University of Texas in Houston as an um, OBGYN resident. So what that means is I've gone through four years of undergrad and then four years of medical school. And then um, you you decide on the specialty that you want to practice in the rest of your life. And so I chose obstetrics and gynecology. And so now, um, being an OB, you have to do four years of residency. And I'm currently in my second year of residency. I just started my second year of residency. And um, I guess the answer to your second question is how do I remain focused and not compare myself to others is, um, like I said, it's still a work in progress for me because um, I still compare myself to others because I'm still like, I'm working all this goddamn time and everybody else is having fun and enjoying their life but at the end of the day I realized that when I'm at work I actually enjoy what I'm doing I love what I'm doing um so that's one way I remain focused um my family especially my husband um he keeps me motivated it keeps me focused so when I come home and I'm like I really had a bad day you know I feel like everyone else is just enjoying their life they are he already know where I'm going and he'll stop me in my tracks and be like but listen that ain't your life. Your life right now is residency and your life will be different after residency. So right now we just have to grind and go through this residency progress. I mean, process. And I mean, those are things that keep me focused. And when I realize that I'm comparing myself to others too much, I just get away from social media um, because they only portray what they want us to know. And so I have to understand that that may not be their life. They may not be as happy where they are. And, um, I can't base my entire life on what someone posts on social media. I have to understand that life goes beyond this. And so I think that's what keeps me focused. Um, remembering the things that my father instilled in me and that my mom cont- continuously st- instilled in me. 
is that I had a goal set before me and I'm still trying to reach it and I have to be disciplined and I have to remain focused and that's the way I mean I do it um so yeah that's how I keep I guess my blinders on as you would say so doc being a, being a physician what's the most what is the hardest part about being an OBGYN um I can't pinpoint one thing that's the hardest part sort of say I mean right now in my phase in my career I'm still learning like I said I'm only in my second year four years of residency and I'm just beginning my second year of residency so there's still a lot to learn and so going to work as I mentioned earlier I go to work sometimes at five o'clock in the morning and I'm not home until eight o'clock at night and so like I said we're working like 14 15 hour shifts only to come home and feel like you have so much to study because everything you've done today, you didn't know what the hell you were doing. <laughs> so it's like a constant uh, learning. It's constant learning. That's what medicine is about. It is a lifelong, a lifelong learning, lifelong learning career. <laughs> Excuse me, get tongue-tied. Say that four times. But um, so that's one of the hardest parts, like going to work for that long and then coming home. And still having to study. And also for me, I failed to mention, I'm the proud mom of a 15-month-old who's extremely active. My husband's telling me not to use the word bad. So I'm going to say he's extremely active. And um, it's hard being away from him because sometimes we're obligated to 24-hour shifts. And those 24-hour shifts are more like 28 hours. And so I go a whole day without seeing my baby. Um also, I mean, babies, I have two babies, my husband and my, my young one, I, like, I don't see them. <laughs> you know, sometimes I get, I have to go 24, 24, 28 hours without seeing them. And sometimes I go this long without even sleeping. So you can tell, you can imagine how fatigued I am sometimes. And so I still have to come home, still have to be a mom, still have to be a wife and take off the physician hat or the resident hat. And it's sometimes it's hard. So I feel like that's, in the, that's one hard part. And then in all of this, you still have to take care of yourself. So, you know, you don't want to look all raggedy going to work. So you still have to make sure you're keeping up your hygiene, keeping up your hair, keeping up your looks. And, you know, that's hard to do when you have a mom. I mean, when you have a baby, you have a husband that, you're, that you have to tend to. And we don't have any help. Like, we're from Miami. Like I said, all of our family is in Miami. So it's me and my husband and my baby out here in Houston. And we're just making it work. So, yeah, all of those things are hard. And, I mean, I can go on and on, but I feel like God has blessed us tremendously. He's given us a lot of perseverance. He's given us a lot of strength. And we're making the damn thing work, you know? <laughs> I like your response. I uh, got another question following up on that one. So to follow up with that question, what's the most enjoyable thing about being an OBGYN physician? I get to live out my dreams. Like the dreams that I've had as a little girl has finally come to fruition. Like, even though I say, I said earlier, like what the hell am I doing with my life? This is really a dream that I've had as a little girl. And I can honestly say that I'm living it, you know? Um, being able to deliver a baby, being able to care for a woman as they progress through their pregnancy, I feel like that's just so amazing to do. Like, I feel like the woman's body is amazing. We can make another whole human being. Um, and so I feel like learning that and being able to care for a woman through that and then being able to deliver a beautiful baby at the end of it, 
um, is like one of the most enjoyable things ever of OBGYN, which is why I went into that field. And I also love surgery. I, whether I deliver a baby vaginally or via C-section, I love it. So that's what I love about OBGYN. There are many things, there are many other things that I like about OBGYN that I can go in more detail about, like the different things that we get to do. We get to do procedures. We get to be in clinic. We get to be in the OR. It's just, um, it's just many things that we do as OBGYNs that I, I absolutely love. I know you might see uh, other people that's aspiring to be a doctor. What advice would you give a girl aspiring to be a doctor and to follow those footsteps? Well, for me, because like I mentioned earlier, I didn't really come from a family or an area full of resources. So it was important that I made mentors. So my mentors are extremely um, important and uh, played a huge role in getting me where I am today. Um, so like I said, there were many people around me that wasn't doing what I wanted to do. And I didn't see myself being them when I grew older. So anytime I felt like I saw someone that was something that I wanted to be in the future, I grabbed hope to them and I made them my mentor. So in high school, I made doctor, um, not doctor, she's not a doctor. She has a doctorate, but I made um, Nakia Cohen my mentor. I made Natalie Baldy my mentors. They were just strong women that I saw in high school that I admired. And Ms. Granger, all of them, like I really admired those people. And so I made them my mentors. I looked to them and I said, eventually I wanted to go through college. I wanted to go through undergrad and they went through the undergrad. And so I held on to them. When I got into undergrad, I was hooked on to people that wanted to go into medicine, that was going into medicine or that was already in medicine. And I hooked on to them and I learned from them. And so that's really what I would let or really would advise anyone else that's aspiring to go into medicine is to grab hold to someone, not only for them to show you how to do it and um, and what they did, but also to give you a source of inspiration, because this field is really hard. Like it it takes a lot. It's very time consuming. Like I said, it requires a lot of discipline. And so having other people that have done it um, or that are doing it as a source of inspiration and easily uh, reachable is important. And so that's what I would tell anyone to get hold of a mentor. What programs and initiatives do you think are needed for the youth? Well, I guess to continue with what I was just speaking on is mentorship. Um, I think it's important that um, people that come out of poverty-stricken, low-income areas return and provide a source of mentorship to the youth, letting them know that they have come from where they are at this time in their lives and that they can be whatever they want to be, just as my dad instilled into me. And I also mentioned earlier, you know, it's important for me to get out of the hood, but I meant that I didn't mean that I would leave and not come back and not give back to my community. So I think it's important that um, when we are able to make it out, that we are able to go back or that we find it um, a priority to go back into those same schools and same communities and neighborhoods that we grew up in and, and, and inspire the youth and let them know that, you know, there are other things that um, are available to them in this world as long as they work hard for it and you know I'm here whenever you need me to provide a source of inspiration some resources and things of that nature so I think that's important for us to have uh, for the youth is a mentorship you mentioned that you're juggling a lot of different pieces in your life right now and 
thinking about uh, mental, being mentally sound, you know, going into work. How do you juggle, you know, work-life balance and, you know, just keeping a level head when you're going into work? That's a good question. <laughs> I think that's another hard part of being an OBGYN. And it, I think that um, can roll over into any profession that's, uh, that's demanding. Um, but personally, I feel like um, going into work, so to say, and being a physician, being resident, um, the moment I walk through those doors, I have to understand or I have to put behind me everything that um, being a mom and being a wife and um, that that has to stay at the door. So when I'm angry at <laughs> my husband, I can't let that roll over into my work and I can't deal with that the moment I step into work because it's another thing to take care of at this time and that's my patience and to learn as much as I can so that when I'm out of residency I can be a proficient and a competent doctor so that's what I tell myself I go into work and I tell myself you know it's time to be a physician it's time to learn put everything beside I mean put everything um that's not conducive to that aside you know and so that's what I tell myself and the moment I leave work um I try to leave work at work. You know, like I said, it's still like a learning process. And um, I mean, like I said, I, it's a learning profession. And so I'm still in training. So it's kind of hard for me to leave work at work sometimes. But what I've decided to do is I just have to compromise on my sleep at times, you know. And when I come home, I'm home. I'll be a mom. I'll be a wife. And I try to be a home. I try to be a wife and a mom as much as I can when my child is awake. So I come home, I leave work at work. Like I said, I'm a mom and I'm a wife and I try to wear one hat at a time um, when it comes to that. And then when my husband and when my daughter, excuse me, I don't have a daughter yet, <laughs> but when my son goes to sleep, um, then I can try to do 15, 30 minutes of studying for the night and then I go to sleep, you know, because the next morning is gonna be probably four away. So I think that's what I'm doing right now. And then I make it a conscious effort, like on the weekends when I'm off, like I don't worry about work and I'm a mom and I'm a wife. I'm a mom during the day and then at the at night I'm a wife and I try to go out with my husband as much as we can and just be a wife and be grateful for what I have, you know? Um, so mm -hmm. I think that's the way that I've juggled it thus far. Um, and then there are times when my husband is just like, you know, let me take the baby. You just need time for yourself and you don't have to be a wife. You don't have to be a mom. You just need to be crystal, you know, and do whatever crystal needs. So I'm able to get my hair done. I'm able to get my nails done and things like that. So I think that's how we juggle it. And like I said, I'm not perfect by all means. Um, but it's a learning pro process and um, that's what it is right now for me. <laughs> So, so thinking about being, you know, a professional, being married, being a mom, uh, what are some compromises you've had to make, you know, just thinking about Reese and I, and it can be rough, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. This journey can be rough and rigorous. So just, mm -hmm. just thinking about that process of, like you said, you managing a relationship, not only with your husband, but with your child. So, you know, mm -hmm. how's that? How's that? Well, for when it comes to being a mom, I hope it doesn't come off as uh, bad, but what I tell myself to get through when I'm not home with my son as much as I would like to be is that he's not going to remember this. Um, he's young right now. He's not going to remember as much as um, he's not going to be remember as much as I remember. He's not going to realize that my mom has been gone for a whole day and he, she hasn't come home to check on me or she hasn't called and checked on me. Like he won't remember that. So 
that kind of put my heart at ease and I know that I have to do what I have to do right now because in, in a couple of years he's gonna know mommy's not home but hopefully at that time I'm out of residency and I'm able to you know I have better uh control over my time and so I think that's how I battled that with my son is like knowing that he's really ain't gonna remember this so let me just do what I gotta do <laughs> mm-hmm. now my husband on the other side I mean on the other hand I think I just you just have to have a very uh, a partner that's understanding, a partner that's very supportive, a partner that, like I said, is understanding of the fact that I may say that I'm getting off at six, but God damn it, a freaking baby is not acting right on labor delivery at 5.30 and I have to take it back for a stat C-section, which can, which can last 30, 45 minutes. And then I have to write notes, making sure she's doing well postoperatively. And then I'm not out until 7.38, you know, after I promise being home from at six. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully this is only happening during residency and I, I create a life outside of residency that I don't have to do this, you know? So I think that's how I manage with my husband. Um, sometimes I just don't feel like being bothered and he understands that and he gives me my space. And the other times he's just like, I don't care. You don't feel like being bothered, but we need to go out. We need to do this. And, you know, I, I let him take the lead on that. So I feel like that's just the way we're doing it now. And like I said, we don't have much help, um, but we're doing it the best of our ability. So looking back over your career thus far, um, you know, some of the rigors and some of the challenges you had to overcome, would you have changed anything about your journey, about your path? Not at all, you know? Um, I mean, what I have control over you know, like whether or not I would go into medicine, whether or not I would, you know, go to Florida State and become a great Seminole, you know, let's go nose. Um, go Gators. I wouldn't. <laughs> I know you're a Gator. Yuck. Um, but um, no, I wouldn't change anything about that. Like like I said, the things that I have control over. Um, not bringing my, my, you know, my daddy back and my grandmother back. Yeah, I would definitely hope to change. Uh, would have liked that to be different, but no, I don't think I would change anything. And um, I like to say that I am a product of my environment because being surrounded by all of that negativity made me who I am today. Like it made me more passionate, made me more determined, made me more driven to accomplish my goals. So um, no, I don't think I would change much. Hey, so what's up, Doc? So you asked a lot of good questions on the show. One no one question. Uh, I got one more question for you. What's the toughest obstacle you had to overcome? And one of the toughest obstacles I've had to overcome. I would definitely say it's um, in regards to my dad. So I guess I should go into a little bit more detail about my dad. Um, I'll start off with my mom. (laughs) So like I mentioned earlier, my mom was addicted to crack cocaine. And so she was still in her active addiction um, when I was conceived. And so my biological father was unknown, or I do not know my biological father. I've never met him. Um, but my mom met my dad, who I refer to as my dad, Clifton Harrison, um, during her um, her treatment, her 12-step program, Narcotics Anonymous, because like I said, he's also a recovering addict. And so they met each other. They married when I was two years old, and that's the only man that I've known as my father. And so growing up like I said my dad was a disciplinarian but it was really 
um, like I love my daddy. I was a daddy's girl. And um, we spent a lot of time together because my mom eventually became a flight attendant. So there were times that she was gone away for extended periods of time. And so me and my dad grew closer. Um, and so, like I said, he instilled in me a lot of things that I can do whatever I wanted to do. And, you know, my dad was just my superhero. And then, um, so I turned 18 and I was um, um, going away to college at FSU. And so on our way up there, it was me and my dad and my mom that dropped me off to school. And then when my mom, you know, they dropped me off to school to the CARE program, which I'm forever indebted to. I love them so much. <laughs> Shout out to CARE. But, um... So on their way back home, my mom asked my dad, or excuse me, my dad asked my mom for a divorce. And so I'm like, what? Are you serious? Like this man really waited until I got out of the house, waited until my mom was all alone, you know, seven hours south of, um, you know, back home in Miami to say, you know, I no longer want to be with you. You know, I want a divorce after what, 18, 16 years of marriage. And so me, like I said, being away at college, you know, and also I was a daddy's girl, but I felt like my dad had really betrayed my mom in this instance. And there are other things that we can talk about, you know, no marriage is perfect. And so growing up with them, I saw this, but I'm just like, my daddy really played my mom. And so me and my dad grew, um, like we separated, like we really wasn't what we normally was during my college years, you know, and that was four years. And I, I really would, I would go weeks and months without talking to my dad, you know, and then when I would talk to him, it would be really short, um, because he moved back to his hometown in Gainesville. So it wasn't like when I went home to Miami that I would be able to see him. And, um, so, you know, our relationship was strained is what I should say. But then I'm like, you know, I'm graduating um, from college. You know, I want him there. So I'm like, Dad, you know, you should come up to my college graduation. And so this was May 3rd. He grew, He came up to my college graduation. And, you know, I had made it um, a point at this time to say, you know, I need to rekindle my relationship with my dad, you know, because in three weeks I was going to start medical school. It was a whole new venture for me. You know, my dad has, was the one who was my backbone and really, like, you know, instilled in me everything to um to become a doctor and so I was like what I told myself was like these three these three weeks I'm gonna make sure that me and my dad we you know we become buddies again because I miss my dad you know after four years and then he saw me um at my college graduation May 3rd I can still see him right now sitting up in the stands and he was just cheering rooting for me as they called because I was summa cum laude so I would have to stand up and he would just stand up and you could see his smile he was just so excited and so proud of me you know I was just like, oh, I can't wait to be able to be friends again with my dad. Cause I was just, I had so much animosity um, in me because of what I felt like he did to my mom, you know? And then um, I didn't see him at the graduation because he said he was going back to Gainesville. You know, my mom had remarried and I felt like it was a lot on him because my mom's new husband was also there at the graduation. And he probably just didn't feel, you know, it, it was different. It, definitely, it was different. And then, so like I said, this happened May 3rd, and then I got a call May 5th. You know, May 5th, I just wasn't feeling right. I just, I started to get sick right after my graduation, and I wasn't feeling right. It just came over me all of a sudden, and my best friend at the time was graduating on May 5th, and I was supposed to go to her graduation, but I just couldn't even make it there because I was just that tired. And then I just went home or whatever because I was going to spend these three weeks in Miami and then go to Gainesville, like I said, to talk with my dad. And I got this call that my dad had passed away. And um, I'm like, what? 
you mean to tell me this guy who has raised me, who has made me who I am, who's basically provided everything for me to get to be a medical student, he's not going to be able to be here to reap the benefits of it? And I was just distraught. And these whole four years that had not gone by while I was in undergrad, I was like really upset with my dad for whatever reason, like for him divorcing my mom when I missed out on that mother, I mean, I missed out on that father-daughter, you know, relationship that I could have had the last four years before he passed away and went home to be with God. And so I feel like that was one of the, the hardest and toughest things that I've ever had to go through because it was like, I really wasted four years being mad at someone when I didn't know that he was gonna be taken away from me so soon. And then I was like, okay, these next three weeks, I'm gonna go ahead and be, and be, you know, I'm gonna talk to my dad, we're gonna talk it out, we're gonna hash it out. And then God was like, no, I'm ready for him. So you just never know when that person is gonna be taken away and I hate to leave on bad terms. So now it's like, okay, whenever I have an issue with someone, I need to just go ahead and talk it out. Cause you never know when they'll be gone away. And um, I feel like that's one of the toughest things I've had to, you know, one of the, one of the things, what was the question again? I don't talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you but answered. I think I answered the question. <laughs> yeah, you answered. <laughs> but yeah, you, I miss my daddy. If there's a mentee out there trying to reach out to you, uh, what lasting words would you leave with the people? So some of the things, if my lasting words would be, regardless of your situation, regardless of your surroundings, regardless of what you see on a day-to-day basis, know within your heart and uh, within yourself what you're capable of and that i can answer for you now is anything you set your mind to like anything you set your mind to you can accomplish and if you think your dreams are are too big that's awesome like you want your bigs if your if your dreams don't scare you they aren't big enough is what my dad used to always tell me um and so you know reach for the stars you can do whatever you want to do in life it sounds so cliche but with hard work discipline and with god's grace and favor on your life you can accomplish anything um and so you just have to keep that in the back of your mind when you're going through these tough times accomplishing or excuse me when you're going through these tough times trying to accomplish uh, whatever goals you've set for yourself this concludes episode five of the process I want to send a special thank you to one of the queens of the podcast, my wife. Thank you for joining us, queen. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat. And be sure to like, comment, and share. Thank you all. They're chanting, trust the process. (laughs) Trust the process. Trust the process. I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I want to be and how I want to be remembered. Like that was my thing. You know, oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I want to leave, not only on the industry, but the effect that I want to leave on people. Being a whole human being, going through my obstacles, going through the things that I'm going through and not to only broadcast these things, but for it to inspire change.